You're listening to Thinker's What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary, and today, Dapo Kolawale with City Spoon. Dapo, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, tell us, what is City Spoon? Well, Alex, Jason, thanks for having me here today. Um, City Spoon is a community-based app that considers all the factors it takes to make uh, um, your dining decisions smooth and easy. Um, especially in a place like Chicago where you have an abundance of restaurants, an abundance of people. And what we're trying to do is just make sure that if you have to make a last-minute decision on where to eat, can you find all that information in one spot? So we kind of like, we're like um, Travago meets Waze. Travago's side is pulling all that information together. The Waze part of it is we also have a part of the app that allows people to report the wait times. So it's like... You pay it forward. Someone else who's looking to go to that restaurant could actually pull up that information and make a decision based on all the decision-making factors if I should go out there and eat or not. So you're t- you're looking at the wait times to to be able to what from the time you enter the enter enter the restaurant to the time you get your table or the time that you enter the restaurant to get your food. What's what's that about? It's the wait time from once you. It's the time it takes for you to get to that table. Okay. Because what we've noticed is a lot of um, restaurants will have someone who's usually walking around, kind of like a federal agent, kind of looking at the state of your table. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they're like, okay, this one has the start of their meal. That one just is about to finish. And yeah. that's the information to report back to the front of the house. Okay. The front of the house now determines what table is available. So what we're looking at is if I want to go eat at that restaurant, that information is, they already have that information. We're going to ask them what the wait time is. We're going to ask you because you're there, and you can actually publish that information. So if I'm looking at that same restaurant that you are there, you're at that restaurant already, mm-hmm. I can actually determine if I want to put in all this effort to get there to yeah. wait or not. Sure. And that's information that uh, – is that available anywhere else? Um, there are two – the information is actually – the in regards to wait times, that's an information that's actually available. All restaurants – we report a wait time. Once you step up to the lobby and you ask mm-hmm. the host, sure, table, uh, they ask you what your party size is. Once you're there. Once you're there. Yeah. So all restaurants have that information, but how that information is being shared out comes in two ways. One, um, there's another competitor out there that actually has the restaurants post that wait time. Um, but we've realized that not a lot of restaurants are on that platform. Yeah. So. Um, and restaurants don't necessarily want to report the wait time. Exactly. You know, so we... We quickly realized that we needed to create a solution that was not tied to the restaurant owners or the restaurants themselves. Yeah. Let's put the power in the hands of the consumers and let them report Yeah, what they're doing. Now, you were here um, last week, uh, earlier in December, for One Million Cups. Yes. And you talked about that Google is in this market now. Uh, but you had, a, you had an interesting take on whether or not you're scared of Google. Correct. Um, so... That's an in- interesting um, announcement that Google made. Um, that particular day, my phone just started vibrating like crazy. Everybody was like, have you seen it? Have you done this? And I'm like, that's great news because one, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. I'm like, mm. that's free publicity for, for what I've been trying to convince people that this is a problem and cities, um, Google just jumped into it. The other thing we've realized th- about Google is that if they're not good at something, they will go and purchase something that's either better so google purchased ways because ways had a very interesting way of solving the same problem of navigation and how long it's going to take to get from point a to point b um the other example would be um google's reviews for restaurants 
I have I'm yet to meet someone who said I had to I went on Google to find out what the hmm. you know reviews on a restaurant is. People go to Yelp instead of or TripAdvisor or TripAdvisor. You know, so um, the fact that they're in the they've moved into the same space we we're, we're playing in is good news for us, and we're just going to pay very close attention to what they're doing. But we have to make sure that we separate separate how we're going to solve the problem uniquely for the end user, different from what they're doing. Because what we've seen is that all they're asking is that you report a wait time when you get there. And there's a whole bunch of bells and whistles that we have, checks and balances that we've built into ours to make sure that when you're thinking about where to eat, we want you to be able to be, we want you, we want you to be confident that the information you're looking at is reliable and accurate mm-hmm. as much as possible. And you're putting that hand, the, the information in the hands of the consumer. Correct. So taking it out of the restaurant's hands who may, may or may not want to report that information, uh, or they might report it inaccurately for some reason. Absolutely. Uh, and so now you've got reliable information that if I want to go out on, let's say a Friday night, I can find a great place to eat. And I know about how long that's going to take me. Yeah, because I've experienced that problem before. If I want to go out to eat and also I'm calling them, like, how long is your wait? Or you show up, you kind of like drive past the door, and yeah. like somebody runs out of the car uh, and then comes back and yeah. like, hey, it's going to be like 30 <laughs> minutes. You're like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And you, so you travel down the road. Absolutely. Yeah, so City Spoon solves that problem in a unique way. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And where where is City Spoon available now? Um, right now we are, well, as of today, we just went live on the, on Google Play. As of this really? morning, fantastic. We went live on Google Play. We are waiting for the, um, for it to go live on the App Store, so you could download it for Android mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I'll say in the next day or so, you should be able to get it on the App Store as well. Um, so it's available. You could use it anywhere, but um, but you're you, focusing on Chicago. To exactly start. because of the of the resources we have, we have to be hyper focused on on Chicago. Yeah. Well, and one of the things you talked about, I think, is that this isn't for every community. I mean, if you're in a if you're in a five thousand person town, and you can walk in any restaurant and sit right down, who needs you know who needs an app uh, to tell them that the, the wait time is zero? But in Chicago, it's a big enough market, right? So your plans once you crush the Chicago market are what? Our plans would be to focus. Um, I guess the next biggest market we're looking at is New York. Um, we we were in tech we were at Tech Day New York two years ago, where we had to we actually presented we've it, we've We've pivoted on the solution twice already. So two years ago, we actually were presenting or pitching a solution we called Waycube, which had a restaurant and a user side to it. And we've quickly realized that not all restaurants are built equal. There's a lot of challenges trying to get restaurants to do what we wanted them to do. That's what we presented when we went to New York. And it was like, they were asking, how soon can this? And that was Waycube. That's not even City Spoon. Mm -hmm. How soon can you bring this over here? So being in New York about two weeks ago, it's the same kind of vibe I'm getting, and we feel like it's a, it's a more intense market for us to jump into right away and take up, you know, take some, take some, jump in and just get some opportunities um, happening in, in New York as well. Can we take a step back because your um, expertise was you were the lead product designer for a company in. Uh, Muscatine, Iowa. Correct. Uh, All steel. It was okay. So you are not a coder. No. I'm not. So let's take, you know, lead us a little bit into what sparked the idea and how did you get something like this going? Sure. Um, well, my wife and I are both professionals. I'm, I'm an engineer. I, I graduated as a mechanical engineer. Um, but I ended up working at um, this company in Muscatine, Iowa, as a product design engineer. So essentially taking 
a, a concept from from an industrial designer designing it for production and going through that cycle. So I did that pretty much the 10 years I was there. Um, so the fact that I loved designing products from scratch to production, creating something that added value to the end user where the company I worked for made tons of money, I love that iteration. That's one thing I love doing. The other part of this equation is my wife and I being professionals, we worked very long hours. So when we had a chance to go eat out, it was like, let's go try out that new restaurant in town. So we kind of married the fact that we would get to some of these restaurants and the wait time would be just out of the world. And we'll go from one restaurant to another within the same, you know, blocks. And like, let's try this restaurant and see what we could get into. So trying to take the fact that we love to dine out at great restaurants and the frustration of just not being able to get to the restaurant that you intended to go into. So you're like, you're like let's go eat steak tonight. And you end up eating Thai food because option A and B was like crazy wait times. So being able to take the technology of just developing product as an engineer, the fact that we loved dining out, marrying that together, we kind of like said, okay, like how can we make this experience a lot better for ourselves? And that's how we kind of started rolling with this idea of creating something that let that lets you know or helps you make all the decisions quickly so you can get into that restaurant. How long did it take you to come from that concept, that idea, into something that was, let's say, a beta? It was your your minimally viable product. Good question. Um, I'll say about four years. So the first idea that we came out came with was um, after we went through the experience of going from restaurant A, B, and C and settling for something that wasn't our first choice setting up, figuring out how, what the solution was, would be, we said, okay, can we, is there a way for you to prepay before you get to a restaurant? So you don't have to wait in line. Kind of like, you know, if you were going to a very nice nightclub and you didn't have, everybody's waiting in line to get in and you show up and the bouncer opens the door and it just walks you to your table. We were looking, how can you bypass everybody else yeah. and just go straight to that table? So that was the first idea we had. And uh, we pitched that idea, the, the Quad Cities, um, we're, we're, we lived in the Quad Cities before. They had their first ever um, fast pitch, kind of like the one they had here this year. So, uh, you know, I, it was a Sunday afternoon. I was watching TV and they said, hey, if you have a business idea, come and pitch it at the first ever Quad City fast pitch. So hmm. we submitted our application, got in, came in third place, won $1,000. Nice. Like, Yay. Looks like we have an idea, but spending a thousand dollars on a developer didn't get us anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't get us anywhere at all. Yeah, and that's about ten hours of work. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, and I was all a couple the, good discussions. It was a discussion, <laughs> and the solution was like when we saw what they built, it was like absolutely nothing. Right. But that experience of going through the, the Quad City Fast Pitch led us into the first ever University of Iowa Venture School which is a six week program six six week program that takes you to the takes you through the business model canvas. So we got plugged into that. That first idea idea pivoted into WaitCube, which was well let's not charge let's not let's not try to prepay, but let's have restaurants publish their wait time and consumers could actually see it on their consumer facing app. So we actually built two apps on Android, which is still on the it's on it's on Google Play right now. And um, it allows them to actually, the restaurants to publish their wait time and people could see it. 
but we quickly realized talking to many restaurants that not all restaurants are built, built equal, one, two. You know, there were challenges with um, staff at the front of house. You know, sometimes they could have high school students there that may not necessarily publish the wait time. They may not charge the tablet. They may not verify the weight. There was a whole bunch of challenges. Well, if you think back in the whole Seinfeld era, right? The, the guy, the, the soup guy? Yeah. You, you, think he would, <laughs> you think he would take time out of his day to, yeah. to put the wait time? Yeah, I don't think map? so. I don't think so. Or or you have the three the, the episode where you had George, Lynn, and Jerry and you know, the Chinese restaurant, and it's like, <laughs> not right. <laughs> it's like, you know, you stand there, it's like, they, they don't have the time. So right, it's like, right. but consumers, we know they have the time because they're sitting down waiting. Yep. They could plug that information in and kind of pay it forward. And the consumer cares. Exactly. The restaurant owner doesn't, I mean, they care, but they don't necessarily care for you to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so City Spoon is released on the Apple Store today, you said. On Google Play today. On Google Play today. And yep. today is what, December 20th? December 20th. 2017. Yes. That's awesome. So a, a user can just go online and, and visit City Spoon uh, and, and just download that. Absolutely. And then uh, what's the what's the future? What what's the what's the next release of City Spoon? Where's that headed? So um, the next thing we we are, are we are going to incorporate into it is um, City Spoon has a part of it that is a recommendation part of it, and the idea behind that is if you if we study how you dine in your local Rockford, Chicago, wherever you are. And we, we, we observe how you're studying, like kind of machine learning, how you're using the, t the app itself. When you go to another city, we want to become your your uh, concierge. Hmm. So, you know, so when you get there, you're in New York City. I'm going to New York City next week, next month. When I'm there, I should be able to like pull up the app and it should make recommendations based on how it observes me using it in my local. I don't want to go downstairs and talk to the concierge because... Another thing we realize is some of these concierges are being paid by the local restaurant down the street <laughs> to say party of three, right? Go to the steakhouse down the street because whatever they we spend out there, they're gonna get a kickback. So I want to rely on how I do my thing versus the concierge who is getting a kickback mm -hmm. from a local restaurant. So the next next thing we're looking at is definitely adapting some AI machine learning into it to better, you know better create a personalized experience for the end user wherever they are and we believe that that experience is going to be so unique for each person that no no one's experience anyone's experience on city spoon is going to be so different so yours is going to be different from mine and with apps right now there's a lot of commonalities it could be similar experiences but with that includes included in the design of what we're trying to work on, it's going to be so different for each person. We talked talk about when you were here a week ago. You know what's next in terms of what you need as a company, uh, and what you you know what you're trying to recruit. Uh, so to make City Spoon what you want, what's what's the next steps as as a as a business owner in terms of recruiting or or finding help? Great question. Um, we are looking to partner if possible um bring on board um developers that are you know strong with, with ai and um, machine learning um that's one of the things that we're looking at very closely and having conversations with a couple of people um across the country here um another thing that we're looking at is because we're fairly new to the chicago market it's very important that we make a lot of noise and let them hear us and see us. So a lot of marketing campaign is required in Chicago since that's where we're going to be hyper-focused. So people would know who we are, what we're trying to solve, and how they could participate in this, in, in this what we're doing. 
So you can, you know, you, you you have an idea, you've developed it to a certain point, but then there's just all other things that sometimes you just don't know you don't know, Correct. right? And like how to market and how to get your name out there. Um, what's been the most surprising thing on this entrepreneurial journey? I mean, because you were at a very solid career and you've given it up to, to push this thing forward. So what's been the biggest surprise so far? I would say the biggest surprise is... I don't know everything. I don't have a supporting cast like I had at my job. I didn't have a product engineer, a product manager, a, a procurement person, an ops person. You are wearing all those hats and you are learning every part of the business as you go along. So for us, it's just been a lot of learning on the spot, making sometimes it's a gut feeling decision you make to move the business in a particular direction. And other times, I was talking to a lot of advisors and just tapping into what they know to make that decision. So having a nine-to-five job, I, you know, there was a lot of checks and balances. You, you couldn't really proceed without a lot of people's input. You know, the, the product manager would come in and say, well, yes, Dapper, you could design it that way, but this is the feel, look, and aesthetics I'm looking for. You know, as an engineer, you're like, okay, based on those requirements I have to design this way. Well I'm making that I'm deci- I'm deciding to feel look and everything and I'm running it by potential people I meet along the way in my journey. So I started this in January and I made sure uh, one of the things that Ola and I do a lot is we go a lot we go we go to a lot of events to make sure we network with people that have the knowledge of what we're looking for and connect with them. You know, so last week uh, this week I actually sat down with someone who Wants to take a second look at the user interface design. I sat down with them early on during the process, so they want to take a second look at it right now, which it's great for us because I'm not a UI expert. That's what they do. So I was like, okay, hey, here's the app. Let me know. And we would roll that out in version 2.0 if we have to. So just not knowing everything. Um, and I, in my 9 to 5 job, I didn't really, you, you know, as a lead design engineer, you know how to design in different products. You know, you know what you need to do as an engineer. But to release a product requires a whole bunch of people to do that. And that's the challenge that we've, we've had to embrace and still you know, plug into different communities, you know, 1MC, um, whatever community that is around us to just get that knowledge to move forward. Now, I'm assuming that you kind of employed that process when you talk about how you've iterated on this concept a couple of times to get to where you're at today. You employed the process of speaking with end users and kind of your trusted advisors? Yes. So early early this year, what we did was, um, because of what we've learned um, at my 9 to 5 job, at my previous position and through University of Iowa, you have to go talk to the people that you're solving their problem for. So one of the things I did as soon as I started January, January 5th, is I started plugging into the people I knew downtown and whoever else they could recommend to me and literally sat down with them and asked them, what is your journey to discover where to eat last minute? And I'll sit down and record, literally just put my phone down and record everything they're saying. And from there, I'll just go back and transcribe that into Excel so I could at least see if there's any trends. Is you know half of them saying this or more of them saying that? And I sat down with millennials, working class millennials, um, Gen Xers, um, baby boomers, you know, and 
no offense to baby baby boomers, but it was quickly obvious that they're not our target market because they planned ahead. They made reservations on open table, and that's not our <laughs> a target market. We're looking for people that would just get up right now and say, okay, well, let's go eat something. How do you answer that question? What's around you? Can you get in there right now? Is there parking next door? What's the traffic conditions? Like all these questions that would take you about seven different apps, takes you over 15 minutes. Hmm. Can you have everything in one centralized location? And one thing that came out of a meeting I had this week was a lot of millennials like to delete apps on their phone because if they have all these apps, it takes up a lot of real estate on their phone. So if they have one app that it's doing seven things, they can kick out six and just keep one. Well, one of the things you talked about there was making a data, making data-driven decisions, right? Cool. A lot of people will do those interviews, but they're listening for something that fits their preconceived notions. Correct. So by doing it on by an Excel spreadsheet, you were trying to avoid something like that, correct? Yes. Yes. So I would just sit down and record. Um, put the phone down, record what, the, you know, I met with as many people as, they recommend you interview about 100, but we did about half of that. I did, um, I was able to leverage, um, I think Am Amazon has something called Mechanical Tusks. Turk. Turk. Yep. I used that to kind of leverage a lot of questionnaires I sent out as well. I did some online surveys that I plugged into 1871, and that community just plugged in and gave me a lot of feedback as well. So I was able to, like, do one-on-ones, but also do some virtual um, you know, feedback, question and answer kind of situation as well. Do you have some examples of things you thought you knew going into those interviews that you discarded? Um, that I discarded. Well, I, I, at one time, like I mentioned, I, I was, I was under the impression that everyone in, in, in Chicago, especially in the downtown area, wanted to eat out last minute. But when I spoke, like I said, when I when I when I had a chance to talk to some millennials and some Gen Xers and some baby boomers, it was quite obvious. A lot of baby boomers were economical. They brought their lunch to work. They made plans ahead of time. This is stuff they were telling me, and I was like, "Are you sure?" They're like, "Yeah, I'm not, this is not for me. I, I already booked, you know, for Valentine's 2018 already." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is not like you know." But the other groups, the millennials and Gen Xers, they were like, yeah, we would wake up Saturday morning and we would go from door to door downtown to, to go eat breakfast at some places. And it's packed. And they would just keep going up the, down the street or up the street to figure out where to eat. And they said, if there's a way for us to know that before we left our house, that would be great. Even better, if you could tell us during the winter if there's any available waiting areas at those places. Because they'll be waiting outside and it's cold. So they were just giving us all this information that was said, okay, these are the things that they want us to kind of figure out and solve and add onto the platform to make that experience a lot more easier for them. You talk a lot about the 90, nine to five job. Tell us, uh, for those who are aspiring entrepreneurs, how many hours a week are you working now? Oh, okay. Well, I'm usually up at three. Um, not because I can't sleep. It's because I have so much <laughs> on my mind. So uh, good thing I have a home office. Um, um, I, I would say I'm running about 60, 70 hours a, a week. Um, meetings, working late. The team I work with is out of India. So that also dictates mm, when, right. I, when I have to get up and have a conversation with them. And my phone's always plugged beside me. So I'm constantly turning the phone over to say something. 
And later on when I wake up, I realize that I should have probably looked at what I said because <laughs> everything, <laughs> was, yeah. everything sounds really it's intelligent like, yeah, super, in the like, morning, oh, super early in the morning. Why did I say, okay, <laughs> I meant to say yes, not <laughs> what I said. So um, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of, um, it's just myself and my wife that are running this, yeah. but I'm doing most of the lifting at this point. Yeah. Um, but Ola is, uh, Ola's your wife. She's a family physician, correct. which is a demanding um profession in herself and you guys have a three-year-old correct right so there's 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 the kid factor also you know and all this stuff so um how do you how do you how do you balance some of that because you're working 60 to 70 hours a week your wife has to work lots of hours um we had we've had some people in here talk about you know blocking out certain chunks of time how do you structure a day well because of the agreement that my wife and i have um in regards to, okay, Dapo, you could go ahead and run this while I, you know, work. I made sure that a lot of the responsibilities of getting my son ready in the morning, drop that's all me. So I get that all done, hop on the train, go downtown, work out of downtown, come home before his day, you know, daycare closes. So a lot of those responsibilities for him, are I, I take a lot of those on. But there's certain days during the week where I'm like, it's all you. You got to get him ready, take him out because we need to balance this somehow. But one of the things I've had to realize is that once I get home, the sweet spot is usually between 6 and 9 p.m. I need to dedicate that to either one of them, depending on who's home. Well, usually he's home with me or with her. But when I get home, I don't do anything city spoon until they go to bed. Then I may just continue working or wake up early and just continue working as much as possible because the 3 a.m. sweet spot for me means that they're both sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I could just continue doing what I'm doing until I hear someone crawl down the stairs and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I got to stop again and continue. So. so there are entrepreneurs and small business owners who listen to this podcast. What advice, looking back on your yourself or your journey here, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur or somebody in the thick of it? So my my journey has my career life and my entrepreneurial life kind of like intertwined into each other. So if you if I'm if it's an entrepreneur who doesn't have a career yet, but they have they're thinking about it, an idea they want to go into, they need to go out and validate that idea before they they start. The opportunity I had was I had my career going going on, so I had the luxury of validating trying it out but knowing that at the end of the day I still have a paycheck coming in until 20, 2017 where I don't have a paycheck and I really need to make sure that this is something that could you know become something so if you are an entrepreneur and you're thinking of starting a, you have a, a great idea you need to go out and validate that idea first of all that's the first thing that would would help you not to waste time and waste money um, if you have a full-time job and you have an idea one thing i've i've told myself as an engineer is when i worked at the company i worked for i made sure that when i was there i was there as an engineer not trying to run city spoon and do an engineer at the same time because as an engineer all it takes is for you to make one mistake that costs a lot of money you know one decimal point could cost the company to throw out a whole a whole lot of stuff and redesign stuff so it's like if you're balancing your nine to five with a entrepreneurial life you know 
pay attention to your you know career because you probably need that money to fund the other one. So don't or mess up one. Or else you're an entrepreneur right away. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So when I was there, I was there and I took what I did was I I, I you know, vacation time, um, after work, that's when I did City Spoon. You know, I made sure that there was separation between both of them because it was very important to me that you don't mess up somebody else's business. Because when I start hiring people, I want them to be focused on what I'm doing, what we're doing. Not having, you could have, I could have people working for me that have ideas that they want to do something. And I would encourage them to do that, but don't do it on my time. Do it outside of your time, you know, do it some, some other time. Good advice. Well, Dapo, it's been a pleasure having you uh, on the Thinker What Works podcast. City Spoon, available on the Google Play Store and forthcoming, among others, now available in Chicago. Yes. And then going to be available in New York here pretty soon. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Appreciate it.